Hello, sports fans, and welcome to Let Me Speak, the show that shares sports' biggest headlines explained, uninterrupted, and maybe a little audacious. I'm Joe Braverman, and today's topics we'll be discussing are examining the biggest deals from the first couple days of NBA free agency, plus reactions from the MLB trade deadline and resetting who should be the World Series favorites, and the future of college sports with the SEC adding Texas and Oklahoma. It's episode 34 of Let Me Speak, and it starts right now. Coming to you on Thursday, August 5th, 2021, the 34th edition of Let Me Speak. Thank you everyone for tuning in. Of course, if you missed it last week, we are now a visual. If you've been watching us on YouTube, it's just been the logo and then some audio, but you get to see me in real time get to express my thoughts. So I hope everyone enjoyed it last week. We're going to keep this thing going. And right now, outside here in Swampscott, Massachusetts, it is wet. It is wet, damp, a little cool. Got the fleece on, so it's a it's a little bit it's a little bit cool out there. But you know, doesn't feel like August. I'll tell you that definitely does not feel like August. But even though it's cool, the action heats up, and nothing is more hotter than the hot stove in NBA free agency. And that is how we're going to start our show with the absolute madness that is NBA free agency. And I got to tell you, there is a lot, a lot of action. You know, I think compared to like recent years, like I'll even go as much as like five years ago that I don't ever remember signings being this active and this livid. You're not livid, but just so active. And this offseason's a little bit different, you know, noticing. The first thing I noticed was that there are a lot of players re-signing to their old teams, which is kind of, it's, it's really interesting to me because some of them were pretty obvious. Like Chris Paul definitely should have re-signed with Phoenix, and he just makes that team so much better. Mike Conley, I thought was a big one. Tim Hardaway Jr., Jared Allen, John Collins, all those guys are re-signing, which was very surprising to me because I would have thought, you know, I talked a couple of months ago about John Collins turning down an extension and he gets more money because of his postseason play. So that's a smart business move right there by John Collins. And then Jarrett Allen with Cleveland. I mean, they drafted Evan Mobley. Like, how are those two going to play with each other? That's going to be really interesting to see. But of course, the biggest move happened literally hours before the 6 p.m. deadline even started. And that was the Miami Heat being so active in their signing. I mean, it started with extending Jimmy Butler, who I think has now found his new home. I think this is going to be his new home, and I think he might end his career in Miami. I think just the way he's played since he signed with Miami in a couple off seasons ago, I thought was really, really telling. And I think he really likes his team, his organization. And I mean... He might be worth that four years, $184 million he signed. But that's not the biggest move Miami made. The biggest move was that they signed Kyle Lowry. The former All-Star is in in on a sign and trade, 
a three-year deal with Miami that's worth $90 million. Now, a lot of people are going back and forth with this. Me, personally, I think it's a great deal for the Heat. I think Lowry is just a bulldog on defense. You have to remember that. He will reinforce that. And if there's one thing about this Miami team, it's that they stress defense. They did it in their finals run in the bubble, and they were one of the top five defensive teams in the entire league this year, only allowing 108 points per game. And I also think it does improve the scoring because with Kyle Lowry, basically since Kawhi Leonard left in 2019, there's really been no offensive focal point. And Kyle Lowry had to do that because he was really the only guy left. You know, Pascal Siakam was a little bit young. Fred Van Vliet is still kind of a shooter. There were still a ton of options out there. And I think Lowry being sort of that second tier option behind Jimmy Butler is absolutely going to be huge for this team. So he's going to reinforce that defense. He's going to improve the scoring. The only downside I'd say is his age. Obviously at 35 years old, he's kind of one of the elder statesmen, but I don't think that means anything. I mean, he was, he put up 17 and a half points per game, but that was on a Toronto team that struggled. They played in Tampa instead of in Canada. So there were a lot of, a lot of outside forces for that Miami team that allowed them to struggle. Because remember, 14-32, the number six seed in the East, but they got swept. They got swept. And I think with the other moves that they made, I think they got themselves to that number three seed as of right now. I think they're the third best team in the East. I still think Brooklyn is the best when they're healthy. I think Milwaukee with the defending champions, I think they're still the best. But Miami is right there because Philadelphia, you know, with Ben Simmons or not, they're still a little shaky. But with Miami, you kind of know what you're getting, you know. They signed two huge names, which I think are very underrated. P.J. Tucker, obviously coming off his title. Two years, $15 million. And then Markeith Morris. You know, he was that same tough bulldog man for the Lakers when they had their run in the bubble. I will say, I do think they probably overpaid for Duncan Robinson. I mean, five years, $9 million. If you're doing the math, that's roughly $18 million per year. But he is very important to this Miami team. I mean, the last two seasons from three-point land, 44.6% and 40.8%. So, he's absolutely important to this Miami team. And I think the pieces that they picked up are really going to help them. Because when you look at that starting lineup, it's essentially you have Kyle Lowry as your point guard. You got Duncan Robinson, Jimmy Butler, You'd throw in either P.J. Tucker or Markeith Morris, whichever way you kind of want to work at that, and then bam, out of bio. And I initially said that their bench was going to be their problem, but they made up some some pretty good signings. I mean, Tony Bradley's going to be their backup center. They re-signed Dwayne Dedman. I think the biggest difference for this Miami team has to be Tyler Hero. I mean, he's still very young, and there's still much room for improvement, but I think if Tyler Hero can make the run that he did in the bubble— then the Heat can be a title contender. Because when you look at the regular season, Hero's sophomore year was much better than his rookie year. But I mean, just li- listen to these numbers in the bubble in 2020. 16 points per game, over 5 rebounds per game, 43% from the field, 37.5 from 3. Then you fast forward to the Bucks series from this past postseason. Only 9 points a game, 
barely shooting 32% and three-pointers were just awful. It was just awful. So Tyler Hero, if he is like he was in that bubble, then this will be a title team. But right now, I put them number three. And right now, I'd say they won the offseason. I think they made the best signing so far. But I will say, a close second was another team in the East, and that's the Chicago Bulls. I am really, really impressed with what the Bulls have done this offseason. Now, you got to keep in mind, after that midseason trade to get Nikola Vucevic from Orlando, they were 12-17. and 17, Okay, but there were a lot of missing pieces in and out obviously Zach Levine had his career all-star season the best of his career and yeah they were 12 and 17 but now this is a full offseason to get accustomed to having all these pieces and you have to remember the biggest signing that they have Lonzo Ball sign and trade four years 85 million dollars okay he's coming off the best shooting season of his career which was his weakness over 14.5 points per game, nearly 41.5% field goal percentage, and nearly 38% from three. Okay, we already knew he was a great passer, and he distributes the ball better than maybe most. And the fact that he'll be able to find Levine, Vucevic, while also having that shooting presence, I think is absolutely huge for the Chicago team. I think it's so important for that Chicago team to get such a great point guard like Lonzo Ball. And you also got to remember the other sign that they made. DeMar DeRozan. Okay. I think getting him on a three-year $85 million sign and trade. I think makes this team a playoff team. I really do. Because he is effective. DeMar DeRozan is super effective. And for basically all of his career. He has been the focal point on offense. Now he doesn't really have to do that. He can be that second option. He can be that third option. Or even the fourth because he had, he didn't really have the pieces around him in San Antonio. You know, he made like one postseason run, but he's still averaging about 21 points per game. And I think you have to look at the other teams in the East with the offseason. I mean, Charlotte lost two of their best players. Indiana, I don't think, made any improvements. And the Wizards lost Russell Westbrook, okay? So that's why I think Chicago can slide into that postseason. I think they can slide into that Eastern Conference and maybe get even as high as the fifth seed, because that starting lineup is huge. Talking about Lonzo, Levine, DeRozan, throw in Patrick Williams, who will be in his second year, and Nikola Vucevic. And not only that, but Alex Caruso is a very underrated signing. He is an energy guy. He's an energy acquisition that can bolster that bench and really give Chicago some depth. So if everything goes right in Chicago, then I think this can be a top five team. But I don't know if it's going to be great. I think they still can make the postseason looking at the Eastern Conference. You know, you have teams like, I mentioned Miami, Milwaukee, Brooklyn. I think the Hawks are no slouch. I think the Knicks will get in there. I think the Celtics, with their struggles, they'll get in there. This Chicago team will make the postseason. Mark my words on this day, Thursday, August 5th, 2021. The day I said the Bulls are back in the playoffs. But a team that needs to sort of get back to that success in the playoffs are the Lakers. And boy, what an offseason they have had so far. Really started on draft night when they got Russell Westbrook, okay? They basically got rid of their entire bench to get 
a point guard where his style playing with LeBron James might be in question, but he was able to work that out with Bradley Beal. So if he can do it with Beal, then he can do it with uh, LeBron James. I will say, they did give up a lot of their bench. KCP, Kuzma, Harrell, they're all gone. So now they had to get a lot of veteran minimums, guys, because LeBron, Anthony Davis, and Westbrook were carrying all that salary. So keep in mind these guys, who they signed, okay? And this is the big story, because if this was five or ten years ago, I would say this is a super team, a super team with no slouch at all. So just... You got to remember, Dwight Howard, Trevor Ariza, Kent Bazemore, Wayne Ellington, Carmelo Anthony. Those guys are all on veterans minimum deals, and they're over 30. Over 30 years old. That's why I say a couple years ago this would be a super team. But they were also very, very smart. Very smart to get some youth on their bench. Malik Monk from Charlotte, Kendrick Nunn from Miami, and getting Taylor Horton Tucker. On a three-year deal. That's eight players over 30 years old that are on their roster right now. Keep in mind, you got those big three. And you have Marcus Gasol as well. Okay, so this is basically this. what this offseason is showing me. Is that the Lakers are going all out for LeBron James. They don't give a, they don't give a rat's ass about the future. Not at all. Because that's what they were doing to build up to get LeBron James. Now that they have him, they are going all in. Absolutely all in. That's what's happened the last couple of off seasons with this Lakers team. Is that they are going all out to get LeBron James a ring. And obviously you do it by getting Russell Westbrook. And you get all these guys on veteran minimum deals. So when LeBron James retires, you have no future. Your future right now is Taylor Horton Tucker who's only 20 years old, and you've got him for three more years. You'll probably get LeBron for three more years. This is what I see for that Lakers team, all right? I A lot of argument is that they are old, and, you know, I, I've been going really back and forth with this. I ultimately think that this is a Lakers team that will always depend on the health of their two stars, their two superstars, and that is LeBron James and that is Anthony Davis. If those two are healthy, then this Lakers team will go and make a deep run in this postseason. Because last year they were injured, nothing. No backup plan at all. And they got bounced by Phoenix in the first round. So really, it depends on the health. And it's just about it's it's just about with these with these older guys. You know, you got like Carmelo, who's 37, Dwight Howard, who's like 35. Okay. Not only are they familiar with with either LeBron or the Lakers system, because they've pretty much all of them have been on this team, either playing with Kobe or with LeBron. But just keeping them healthy and not being worn out by the regular season. You know, I'm thinking guys like Carmelo Anthony and Trevor Reza might not get that much playing time because of their age and they want to save them for the postseason because they can be that effective so it's going to be a lot of Malik Monk Kendrick Nunn Horton Tucker all those guys because they're they're young and they can really help out with that second unit but what's funny is that we're only a few days into free agency and I got a feeling that there are more deals to become so keep your eyes out for NBA free agency because if it's madness 
within the first few days. Imagine what it's going to be like before the start of the regular season. But of course, the NBA wasn't the only league that had a bunch of action going on. Obviously, last week was the MLB trade deadline, and this was literally less than 24 hours before the deadline, so we were only guessing on what kind of moves could have happened. Now that it's been almost a week, I'm shocked. I was shocked at all the moves that were made, more in particular because they were all fast and furious And it just felt like every single playoff contender made a move, at least one. And so that's really what I was kind of hoping for, was that no one really knew who were going to be the buyers, who were going to be the sellers. You know, you have a team like the Atlanta Braves, who are still far back in the NL East, but they still made a bunch of moves to bolster their roster. And you get other teams that are, they still might be a little bit far out of it, but they still think that they have a chance. You know, the Rockies didn't move anyone. The Diamondbacks only moved one guy. So it'll be, it was very shocking to see, you know, just all the back and forth going on. But the clear winner of this trade deadline were the Dodgers. Clear winner. Because it was, as I was creating this episode, The news was coming out that the Padres were very, very close, probably like this close to getting Max Scherzer. Well, not only do the Dodgers sweep the rug out from them, they sweep the rug in the entire damn floor because not only do they get Max Scherzer, they get the best hitter on that Nationals team, and that is Trey Turner, okay? Just listen to this starting rotation that the Dodgers have now. Listen to all of these starters. Clayton Kershaw. Max Scherzer, who's 8 and 4, 276. Walker Bueller, second in the MLB in ERA. Julio Urias, tied for first in the league with 13 wins. They just signed Cole Hamels. They have David Price. And depending on how things go, Trevor Bauer. Okay? Those are about seven, seven quality starters that any team might make. Their top three starters, okay? And the Dodgers have all of that flexibility. All of that flexibility. Adding Max Scherzer. You've got two, maybe three of the best pitchers in baseball today. Today in Kershaw, Scherzer, and Bueller. Apologize to Mets fans because Jacob deGrom is the best right now. I said maybe top three of the best. You know, maybe like top ten or something like that. But this... We've seen in the past how much pitching is important to a postseason run. And that is what the Dodgers are reassuring. Because they have a good bullpen. They've got a great bullpen and a good closer in Kenley Jansen. Now if you can get a starter who can go six or seven innings every single night, might as well throw in the towel if you're the other guys. Because if they have a bad pitching night, you still got to deal with a lineup that has Mookie Betts, Cody Bellinger, Max Muncy, the guy who's fifth in the league at average in 322, Trey Turner, Justin Turner, AJ Pollock, Corey Seager, and Will Smith. Oh, and if any of them need an off night, 
You have Albert Pujols and Chris Taylor, just to name a few guys. Don't forget Austin Barnes as their catcher. Okay, this is a dangerous team from top to bottom. And with these moves, they have made themselves the favorite once again. I think they are the number one contenders for this World Series. And I think if something goes wrong, that is how they lose it. If everything goes right, not only are they going to win the division, they're going to win the pennant, and they're going to win the World Series, regardless of who it is, regardless of who it is, because they are selling their future to repeat as world champions, because obviously Max Scherzer will be a free agent, Justin Turner is going to be a free agent, Pujols, etc., etc., but they have separated themselves as the number one clear favorite for the World Series, and no one is going to argue against me about that. Even if they do, I'm going to tell you exactly what I just said. What they have on their roster is great from top to bottom. But I will say, another National League team that did themselves a favor were the New York Mets. Okay, Because I think they separated themselves in a very tight-packed division. You know, They're leading in the NL East right now, and I really think that they made themselves into the division favorites and to get to that postseason. Not only did they get Rich Hill, a solid starting pitcher, but they got Javi Baez from Chicago, okay? I will say, Baez will move to second second base, but still an infield of Francisco Lindor and Javi Baez, whoo, that is going to be dangerous. But again, similar to the Dodgers, the Mets, I think, have a pretty solid five-man rotation now because you have, obviously, the Cy Young, Jacob deGrom, and I'm already going to claim it. He's going to win it again, 7-2, 1.08 ERA. Okay, that should make him the Cy Young right there. You have DeGrom, you have Rich Hill, he's 6-4, 3 ERA. That's not bad. You have Marcus Stroman, who is kind of the tough luck run support guy right now, 7-10, 2.80 ERA. You have Tejon Walker, 7-6, 3.86 ERA. And then you have a solid starting pitcher returning from injury in Carlos Carrasco. So I, th- I think that's a great starting rotation to have if you're the New York Mets. And then going back to Baez, you know, 248, not a great batting average, but still 22 homers, 65 RBIs before coming to the Mets. I think he, again, he solidifies that starting lineup, and they just really needed a power. They needed some oomph. Like I said, Stroman's the guy who's 7-10, and 10, but you could argue that he's 10-7 and 7 because the offense has really been unable to help him out and I think Baez is going to help that out with his power and we saw that the first game he was a Met where he hits a home run and I I think it's going to be a big difference and I think the Mets they could go as far as the uh they could go as far as the pennant I think if they can have all their pieces put together I really think so I like what the the Mets did at the deadline and then the last thing I will say about this trade deadline was I was very surprised to see the amount of moves the Yankees and the Blue Jays made. Just because of the standings. Because they clearly think in their mind that they can catch the Tampa Bay Rays and they can catch the Boston Red Sox. You gotta keep in mind, Red Sox added Kyle Schwarber, but nothing really else. Tampa Bay Rays added Nelson Cruz, but nothing really else. And when you look at the standings the way they are, the Yankees are 6 back of Tampa and 5 back of Boston. Toronto is 7 back of Tampa and 6 back of Boston. But just to go team by team, the Yankees, they made three moves, three big moves. 
Joey Gallo, Anthony Rizzo, and Andrew Heaney. Now, I got to say, as a Red Sox fan, that, that shows me their ego right there. Their ego could not fathom themselves to be sellers. Because, yes, they have looked better since making those moves. But they're playing the Marlins and the Orioles, okay? Call me when they play the Astros or they play the Rays. Or even this weekend when they play the Mariners. You know, talk to me about that when they actually play some really good teams, all right? Now, Anthony Rizzo, I will say, has been okay. He's been all right. I mean, obviously, the power is there. He's 8 for 20, 3 homers, 6 RBIs, 2 walks, and a strikeout in his first 6 games. I will say, the move at first confused me because what's going to happen when Luke Voigt returns from injury, okay? Because he led the league in the short appearance or in the shortened season in 2020 in home runs. And depending on how he comes back, that's going to complicate things at first base. Because obviously you can interchange, you know, your designated hitter between Judge, Stan, etc. But at first base, you know, you have Voight who's the righty, you have Rizzo who's the lefty. I think both of them are too good where you don't want to have either one out of your lineup. But it just shows me, you know, I guess it's a good it's a good problem to have if you're in New York. But I don't know. It just it kind of confused me. But this is what the Yankees have been doing. They just get guys because they're the best. And again, their ego could not fathom themselves to be sellers. The other addition, though, Joey Gallo, I don't even think it's been worth it. Hasn't even been worth it. He's 2 of 23 with 2 walks and 7 strikeouts. Alright? Each... It, it didn't make any sense to me. It did not make any sense to go get Joey Gallo. You know, maybe they could have gotten Joey Gallo and left Rizzo on the table. I think they only needed one bat because they do have guys coming back from either COVID or from injury. But even if this lineup gets back to where they once were, their pitching is going to be their downfall, regardless of if Severino returns and he's back to his own form. Their pitching from the starting rotation to the bullpen are not going to make the playoffs, regardless of what happens. They're not going to make the playoffs, and you heard it here first, okay? Everyone's so optimistic that, oh, the Yankees, when they get Stanton back, when they get Judge back, when they get DJ LeMahieu, they're going to be back to the top. Wrong. Their pitching stinks, absolutely stinks, and they are not going to get back to the playoffs. Mark my words. But the other team, Toronto, they they're a little more optimistic, I would say. You know, I think their pitching does get a did get better with Jose Barrios. They bolster the depth of their bullpen with Joaquin Soria and with Brad Hand. I think, you know, I I don't think it makes the biggest difference. I think again, Toronto, they've got better pitching to go with that powerful offense. Obviously, they have George Springer back. You have Vlad Jr., who I think is the second best player in the AL right now. You know, Bichette, Biggio. They have a bunch of they have a bunch of great guys in their lineup, but I just think this pitching still continues to struggle, and they probably needed a few more starters. You know, you have Hun Jin Ryu and Jose Barrios, and that's pretty much it that you can really trust in that starting rotation. That's really all it is. I will say they do have control of Barrios for for next year, so I'm not gonna question that move because they have control over him. You wouldn't do it unless if it was a rental. You wouldn't do it if it was a rental. If he was going to be gone in free agency, you wouldn't make this move. But the fact that he's under contract for 2022 makes this a very 
important move. And especially for that next offseason. Because the Blue Jays can go to some other starters in the free agent market and say, we got these two guys, you'd make a great three, four, five, etc., etc. So that's all they got to do is just improve that starting pitching, and then they will get back to being division favorites. And I got to say, it's it's tough to see the impact right now because A, it's only been a week, and B, the standings haven't really changed that much. But I got a feeling there's going to be a minor shakeup once you know we get about three weeks after the deadline and all these new acquisitions can get acclimated. But all I know for sure is that the run to the MLB postseason is going to be fast and furious. On now to topic number three, and this was something that I really wanted to get into. Obviously, the past couple of weeks in the news of the NCAA, it was just found out about a week ago that it was made official that in 2025, Texas and Oklahoma are going to join the SEC. They are leaving the Big 12, and they're going to be in the SEC. And at first, it kind of surprised me, but then you think about it, it's kind of a new era for the NCAA, whether it's good or bad for them. And it just kind of makes you think, where where's the NCAA going? What does their future hold? And I think that question and that debate is a great subject for this week's edition known as Hot Takes. So I really think that this started on the Supreme Court ruling about name, image, and likeness. That's really where this domino effect got started. The fact that athletes are now able to profit off their name, their image, and their likeness. You know, the talk about NCAA football as a video game and stuff like that. But I, th- I think that's really where it all started. And I think, you know, Texas and Oklahoma, I think to, to me, I you know, I'm not and on campus or know anything like that. But I got a feeling that they saw this ruling and they see the SEC. Now, the SEC in terms of college football has been the best program, the best conference in my eyes because they have Alabama. They got LSU. They got Florida, Georgia. They've got so many teams that are in the conversation, okay? And only a handful of times have other teams like in the ACC, like Florida State or Clemson or Notre Dame, have really been able to to knock them off. And you have to think of the SEC also with the, the television rights. You know, they've always got those games on CBS. They're always in the national championship. They've always got the best teams out there. And so I think Texas and Oklahoma is looking at it from a promotional standpoint and saying, oh, if they're making so much money over there, their athletes are going to make a ton We should get in that because we can get more athletes to come to our schools if they're playing in the best conference. That's ultimately where it is. That's what I think it is for Texas and Oklahoma. So I don't blame them at all. But it just makes a huge conference shakeup, though. You know, what is the Big 12 going to be like without arguably their two best teams in that conference? You can make the argument about Oklahoma State or TCU or Baylor or stuff like that. But I think Texas and Oklahoma are the two biggest names in that conference or were in that conference. I mean, they're technically still in the conference until 2025, so they got another four years. But 
Those are the two biggest schools. And if you're losing them, then that is a big loss for the Big 12. And, you know, you're hearing all these rumors about they might join with the Pac-12. They might, you know, combine conferences. And I got to say, just listening and sort of digesting, I ultimately think, you know, we're going to see more conference mergers. You know, Notre Dame's probably going to join a conference in the next couple of years. I think maybe... The ACC, you know, that the Power Five conferences and Power Five schools, I think, are just going to create sort of like a super league. You know, that that's kind of, it, it feels like that's where it's going. You know, you have this like division and stuff like that. You know, maybe it's a, maybe the playoff system turns into, you know, that sort of bracketed sort of thing where you have like the top two teams and you make it an eight-team playoff or something like that. You know, you have your your top five schools who win the conf- their conference or whatever, and then the next three teams after that. You know, that's still up in the air. But I just got a feeling that all these Power Five schools are going to create some kind of big league. You know, I don't think it's going to be imminent, but I just think, you know, within five or ten years, I think that's where this is going. That's where it's going. Because if we're seeing, you know, Texas and Oklahoma are the first ones. You know, you had Missouri jumping from the Big 12 to the SEC. You had all these different schools. You had Connecticut changing schools. You had the Pac-10 become the Pac-12. You know, there's still so much movement. And if Texas and Oklahoma are those first ones, you know, what is going to happen in five or ten years? Are more schools going to want to take that jump? Are more schools going to want to join the SEC? Or are they going to want to join the Big 12 or something like that? We don't know. We don't know, but it's all because of name, image, and likeness. It's because of that and because of this movement that I think the NCAA is falling apart. They're falling apart as we speak because, yes, it's still college sports, but if you've got athletes who are now profiting off of their name, image, and likeness, that's going to create chaos, absolute chaos, and there's nothing the NCAA can do. There's nothing the NCAA can do. You know, it's not like the schools can directly give them money, can give the student-athletes money. But this is from local stuff that they get to promote. That's how they earn it with the name, image, likeness, stuff like that. And there's nothing the NCAA can do. They've been pointed out their flaws over and over and over again. I mean, look at March Madness when that uh, women's basketball player from Oregon posted the locker room where they only got like one set of weights and the men got like a whole weight room or something like that. You know, we're seeing the flaws of the NCAA play out and this is part of that demise. This is part of that demise. And that's where I think the NCAA is going. It's going to be, it's still going to be college sports. Kids are still going to be going to school. They're still going to be student athletes. But this is almost like a professional league. It's like a professional league. That's that's just what I see. I don't see the NCAA going anywhere, you know. If they're going anywhere, they're going down. They're not going up. They're not rising to the top. Because, yeah, they'll still get March Madness. They got the college football playoff, the college World Series, and all that kind of stuff. But in terms of, you know, like respect and being able to continue this for years to come, it's no longer your dad's NCAA. This is a new era. And the new era of the NCAA involves the demise of the NCAA. That's all 
it is, is because there is so much, not not chaos, but just so much uncertainty about how this name, image, and likeness thing is going to go on and about all these conference moving and stuff like that. You know, it just raises a lot of questions and a lot of red flags about what was the NCAA really doing behind closed doors, okay? So I don't see the NCAA going anywhere, going anywhere fast, you know? I'm not expecting it to, you know, die out in the next couple of years or so. I think it's still it's still going to be labeled the NCAA, but I think it's just going to be, it's, God, it, it, it's it's going to be different. I'll tell you that right now. It's definitely going to be different than what it once was because they no longer have control of the players. They no longer have control of, you know, financially and stuff like that. The players are able to make their own money based off name, image, and likeness. And if the NCAA, you know, they're just one bad move away from ultimately crashing into an iceberg like the Titanic. They make one bad move, one bad decision, someone's going to turn around and bite them in the butt. But, you know, I'm just really, I'm really curious to see how this plays out. Because with with players being able to profit off of all the name, image, and likeness stuff, and the fact that Texas and Oklahoma is now in a new conference, one can only imagine what is going to happen to the NCAA in the near future. time for the part of the show where we got to go into the city and look at our local teams it's time for our let's get local segment of the week and two teams in the boston area have been making a ton of moves so far obviously with the trade deadline and nba free agency like i had first mentioned we got to start though with the red sox because gosh dang they are frustrating right now they are frustrating i mean yeah they won last night four to one in detroit and they snapped their five game losing streak, and got 18 strikeouts by the pitching staff, including 10 by Eduardo Rodriguez. But still, people cannot stop talking about the lack of moves that they made at the trade deadline. And Heim Bloom, ultimately, in my opinion, just told fans, we don't expect to contend, and we're not going to win it all this year. That's ultimately what Heim Bloom did, because all he did was get Kyle Schwarber. Now, it's not terrible, and I think... A powerful bat was needed, you know. I'm not sure him at first base coming back will be the biggest help when he comes back from injury. I'm not sure that's going to be the thing that turns it around. But this offense needed a jolt, and hopefully they'll get it with Kyle Schwarber coming back. But then look at what else they got. Hansel Robles and Austin Davis, they're not game changers. They're not guys that can make you say, that's a World Series contender right there. Yeah, they've got some depth. But that's not that's not anything. You know, I would have rather seen them hold on to Michael Chavis so we have more options at first base, ultimately. But I think the, the thing that irritated me the most was that their number one priority was starting pitching. And ultimately, Chris Sale is coming back. Is coming back. We know that now. Because on Saturday... 
with the Worcester Red Sox, it's his final rehab start. Alex Cora said that will be his final real that will be his final rehab start, and then he will be back with the Sox. But he's not the ultimate answer. I've said it week after week after week. This guy isn't the answer right now. And just look at the rotation you have right now. Nathan Avaldi is really the only starter you can trust on a consistent basis. And even he struggled during the Tampa series last weekend. Okay? So this is why, you know, you could have gotten one guy. You know, it didn't even have to be a giant name out there. You could have gotten a Kyle Gibson or something like that. Someone small. You know, you didn't have to go get a Max Scherzer. Or you didn't need to get a Jose Barrios. But just getting a starter. Because right now, if you have Chris Sale come back, you put him in with Evaldi, Rodriguez, Pavetta, Richards, Perez, and Houck. You got to get rid of two of them. You got to get rid of two of those guys. And right now, Perez and Richards are the guys, as I've said. They're on the outside looking in. But even Pavetta and Rodriguez continue to struggle. They still continue to struggle. So I don't understand why High and Bloom didn't decide to go get pitching. Because that is the number one thing that gives you a championship team is good pitching. And they've got good pitching in Matt Barnes. They've got a good closer. They've got a good guy when their starters can't go far in Garrett Whitlock. You know, they've got Sawamura and Ottavino and Taylor. You know, bullpen wasn't... You could have gotten a bullpen arm. You know, Robles and Davis are, you know, if you got a starter or someone else, that would have been, no one would have even paid attention to that. But the fact that Bloom didn't get a starter just told me that they lost the division. They lost the division at the deadline, and they're probably, they could lose their playoff spot, okay? Because they're right now slated at the wild, in the wild card game against the Oakland Athletics. You're telling me if one game has to be won, you don't even know who you're going to throw out there. Are you going to throw Evaldi out there? You know, you can't trust him with a team like the Oakland Athletics. You know, maybe you can, but even so, the offense, I think the offense will get better whenever Schwarber gets into the lineup. However, he's going to fit in that lineup, whether it's at first base or they interchange him in the outfield or something like that. But if you don't have starting pitching, then you're done. You're done. And this team doesn't have starting pitching. Rodriguez has struggled. Pavetta has struggled. Richards has struggled. And Perez has struggled. Okay? And Tanner Houck, he's too young right now. He's too young to put in the big time moments. So really, you only have two starters you can trust. You're hoping and banking on the fact that Chris Sale is the Chris Sale before Tommy John. And that Nathan Evaldi continues to be one of the... Continue to be the best pitcher in your starting rotation. You can't do that. You can't do that. So my championship hopes for the Sox have kind of just gone up in smoke because even if they get to the World Series, they're not going to beat the Dodgers. They're not going to they're not even going to beat the Padres, you know? I think they're the probably the fourth best team right now in the American League. Fourth best team. And people were arguing that they were the best team because they had a lot of good luck sort of thing like that. They had their pitching rotation be very consistent. They had their offense swinging at the right time. Bogarts, Devers, Martinez, all those guys swung at the right time. And now they're struggling, and we're starting to see the price being paid for not making any additions at the deadline. And I get that Bloom's trying to protect the future. 
But you got to give you got to give these guys some help, though. You know, if you're kind of telling them, hey, we're not going to move anything because we're not going to risk our future. We want our future. We want to be good for 10 years. Why don't you tell these guys just bring in some kind of reinforcement? All right. Bring in some kind of reinforcement. So I'm very ticked off at Heim Bloom for not making any moves at the deadline. And, you know, I still expect this team to maybe get a wild card spot. But even that is a stretch right now, the way they've been playing. Their offense stinks right now. They can't get any starting pitching. And when they do get good starting pitching, their offense can't come around. It's it's very frustrating if you're a Red Sox fan. You know, you get you don't want to you don't want to risk the future. But you just wish they could have done something to give your fans some hope. And Bloom did not do that at this deadline. But of course, they're not the only team that were making moves or lack thereof. The Celtics have had a very uh offseason, very active offseason, mostly a lot of trades and salary shedding. And it all started literally last week. Again, news that came right after the podcast went on the air. Tristan Thompson is no longer in green. He's going to Sacramento as part of a three-team deal. (coughs) Where the Celtics acquired Chris Dunn and Bruno Fernando from the Atlanta Hawks. Now, those are two names that don't really stand out to me, you know. I remember Chris Dunn as being the guy back in 2017 where... You know, you said, oh, let's get him. Let's get him. He's a Providence guy. He's a Providence kid. But we got Jalen Brown instead. And now we're kind of seeing, oh, we got both of them. I guess that's okay. So I'm not even sure if they're going to stay on the roster or or if they're going to be dealt again. Because we've seen that happen to multiple guys this offseason. But if your point guard depth consists of Marcus Smart, Peyton Pritchard, Carson Edwards, and Chris Dunn, not sure that is the most promising point guard spot that you're looking for, okay? And we heard all these rumors about them getting Isaiah Thomas or getting Patty Mills. You know, I I didn't even, you know, I got my hopes up, but I didn't really believe it because unless they took a minimum deal, and I mean a really minimum deal because they were they're still a little bit hard capped, then I didn't expect it. I didn't really expect it at all. I will say, though, the other trade that did get me excited was getting Josh Richardson. And, you know, not super excited of, oh, we're going to win the championship. Not at all. Richardson is a two-way player, and I think he's really good. Getting him in from for Dallas from Moses Brown, you know, seeing Moses Brown go, I really wanted to see what he was going to do because the Celtics needed some size. So I was kind of, I was really looking forward to seeing what he was going to do. But obviously, he was only here for like a cup of coffee. But back to Richardson. I think he was really brought in for his defense. I think that's what Brad Stevens is doing for this team. He's reinforcing toughness, defense, and being competitive. Because, you know, Josh Richardson, you know, he's fourth team in four years. That's obviously not a good sign. But he's just brought in to do one role. You know, he can score. He can score occasionally. But he's really here for his defense. That's that's really all it is. He's just here to play defense. <coughs> but I mean, again, back to Brown. You wish you could have seen him play because I think there is a lack of centers on this team right now. I mean, hopefully 
to keep the fans interested, re-signing Taco Fall. I think, you know, he hasn't played enough to demand a huge contract, so maybe they're going to bring Taco Fall back. I hope they bring Taco Fall back. But a couple of non-moves they made, I say good call on not bringing back Evan Fournier. You know why? Because he's not worth $20 million a year, okay? Maybe he's worth it in New York, where New York is called delusional land, but he's not worth $20 million a year, okay? One good game in the Olympics. One good game. And all of a sudden, he's a $20 million a year guy? Uh-uh. I don't think so. I mean, he barely averaged, what, like 15 points a game when he came over from the Celtics? It's just, that's what your trade exception was going to be on? It's going to be on two months of Evan Fournier and a whole year, maybe, of Josh Richardson. All right, Danny Ainge, not bad. Not bad. I can see why you left. But I think one thing that really did get me excited was Ennis Cantor. A couple of days ago, the Celtics signed him to a one-year deal, and I really liked Ennis Cantor when he was on the Celtics because he's, again, an energy guy. He's a great locker room guy, great personality, and, of course, he's a great rebounder. He's a great rebounder, both on the offensive and the defensive end. And I think having him as your backup center can allow Al Horford to play his preferred position of power forward. Because we've seen it in the past. He's talked about it. He doesn't really enjoy being the center on any team, really. So if you have him at the power forward, he can, again, stretch the floor, you know, knock down some open shots, and also get some isolation in the post. So I do like that move. I think it's a good move to at least stay competitive if you want to stay competitive and get into that postseason. But ultimately, this offseason I'm seeing is really just setting up for 2022, the 2022 offseason, because they're going to have more cap space. I mean, I think I looked it up. The only guaranteed contracts they have right now are Tatum and Brown right now, I believe so. And you just have to look at all the players that could be available. You have Luka Doncic, who's a restricted free agent. Russell Westbrook has a player option. All of the big three in Brooklyn have a player option. And, of course, the biggest name, Bradley Beal, has a player option. You know, I'm not saying all those guys are going to be options. I'm just saying it looks possibly like a loaded 2022 class. And depending on what the Celtics can do, this might be a destination for a guy to get somewhat of a max deal. But then again, we saw that with the combination of Kemba Walker with his contract. And, you know, not really sure how that one turned out, huh, Celtics fans? But I think right now, and I know it's still early, it's only August, and I think Summer League is, like, just getting underway. But I think the highest ceiling that the Celtics team can go is the fifth or the sixth seed. Because last year, they were ravaged by a lot of injuries, a lot of inconsistency. Obviously, Tatum had COVID. Smart had his injury. Kemba had his injury. And Jalen Brown had his injury and stuff like that. So there were a lot of pieces going in and out. If this team can stay healthy and just have a good regular season, not a great, but a good regular season, I think the fifth of the sixth seed in the East is a reasonable expectation for this team because I think you're expecting more from Romeo Lankford in his third year I think this is going to be his first offseason where he actually can not deal with an injury I think I heard he was going to play in the summer league so he'll actually get a chance to 
play without having to rehab from any kind of injury. And then you have Aaron Neesmith, who showed some kind of flashes. Is he more comfortable in his sophomore year? It'll be very interesting to see what kind of lineup that the Celtics use. But all I know is that there's a ton of activity going on in the city of Boston, and I can only imagine what fans are going to think when the season's finally get underway and come to an end. Lastly, to end our show, we look and get a gut laugh at our LOL moment of the week. And I got to say, there were a lot of them that it was hard to narrow down one. So I'm just going to throw out some honorable mentions. I mean, the stray cat in the Bronx during the Yankees game, getting the MVP chance. I mean, just elusive and stuff like that. You have Andre Drummond signing with the Sixers. That makes you think now he's teammates with his once bitter rival. Joel Embiid, which is pretty funny, resurfacing their old tweets. And then Tom Brady on his 44th birthday getting some little avocado tequila. So there were definitely a lot of nominees, but there can only be one. And this week's LOL moment of the week goes to... Victor Robles, the Nationals outfielder made some headlines because he had a little friend accompanying him in the outfield. Take a look at this photo right here. Robles went almost half an inning playing with a praying mantis on his head. Look at that. He doesn't even know it's there. I mean, these two pictures are just showing that he doesn't even know it's there. I mean, this is coming from Nat's Twitter. He's showing just how calm he is with a praying mantis. You know, it'd be different if it was like a a fly or a bee on his head or something like that. But this is a praying mantis. A praying mantis is on his head, and he's just chill about it. He's just moving along. He's warming up in the outfield. He's just chilling in the dugout, and he doesn't even know. And it doesn't even look like he planned on it on his head. I mean, I wouldn't be that calm if there was a praying mantis on my head. If someone was yelling at me, you got something on your head, I would just look, I'd take off the hat, and I would freak out. You know, I'm one of those things when there's some kind of bug, like, on my head. You know, I don't freak out about, like, a spider on the wall or something like that. But if there's, like, a something on my shoulder, I just freak out. I'm like, get it off, get it off. You know, one of those things. Like, when a fly comes from out of nowhere or a bee comes out from the corner of my eye right here, that sort of freaks me out a little bit. I get a little bit of a jump, but... This guy, Victor Robles, he's just carrying on like nothing's going on. And he's got a praying mantis on his head. Now, I've seen praying mantises at multiple ballparks. And I don't know what it is about the ball fields that has got praying mantises. Or is it manti? I'm not sure. Probably going to get a science person or something like that. Who knows all about that? (laughs) I'm not an expert. But just... I've seen him a, a, a lot of ballparks, and this is the first time I've actually seen it on a player right now. And Robles, again, he just, he's chilling. He's chilling. And, you know, I saw an image afterward where he takes off, or the Mantis, I think, went to the brim of the cap, and he's kind of like looking at it, 
just being like, oh, hello, uh, get off. <laughs> it was just really funny. But then again, the Nationals need something. They need something to get fans interested because they basically gave up their entire roster. You know, they gave up Scherzer, Turner, Schwarber, Brad Hand. They gave up almost everyone on the Major League roster. I mean, the only guys you could name right now are Ryan Zimmerman and Juan Soto. After that, I'm kind of I'm kind of lost. Steven Strasburg should probably get that one too, but he's injured right now. He's injured right now. So, you know, two guys that are still kind of playing and one who's injured right now. Those are the only Nationals right now that I can name because they gave everyone away. So I guess the Nationals are just trying to find a way to get fans interested in them again. Because remember, this was a World Series team two years ago. Not too long ago. Two years ago. And Scherzer was the pitcher. They had Zimmerman. They had Rendon. They had Trey Turner. They had all these guys, and they just gave them away two years later. So, you know, Nationals just looking for looking for some attention because, you know, they were making headlines with Bryce Harper. Then he left. Then they were making headlines by win the World Series. And now they're making headlines by uh, getting rid of everybody. So they're just trying to keep fans intrigued, saying, hey, we still got some attention right over here. We'll even show a praying mantis on one of our guys' head. Now, I know that was coincidence, but hey, maybe it's a good PR move by the Nationals, uh, by the Washington Nationals to get some fans back interested in them because no one's going to be interested in basically their AAA team right now. So Victor Robles, the coincidence of having a praying mantis on your head without even knowing lands you into this week's LOL Moment of the Week. So that will do it for another episode of Let Me Speak. Thank you very much for watching if you're on YouTube or if you're on Spotify or Apple Podcasts for listening. Make sure you follow our other pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. All you got to do is search Let Me Speak Podcast. And remember, as always, if you've got a point you got to get across, just let the whole world know. Shut up and let me speak.